This is History West Midlands. Wire Piddle, Dagtail End, Cofton Hackett, Finstall, and Inkbarrow. Just a few of the strangely intriguing names found on the signposts pointing along the lanes leading to the hamlets, villages and towns of Worcestershire in the rural heart of England. A visitor instinctively knows that each name is special. Every one of them hints at stories of people and events which shaped this quintessentially English county centuries ago. But what do they all mean? What mysteries lie here? Who named the hills and rivers? These voices from the past have been painstakingly unlocked in a new book by retired medical doctor Mike Jenkins, as he now tells History West Midlands publisher Mike Gibbs. Mike, you've produced a fascinating book, The History of Place Names in England and Worcestershire. And today I'd really like to sit here with you in your home in Hanbury, Worcestershire, and talk about the place names and their derivations. I guess the first question is, many of us drive around and many of us see fascinating names and we all think, I wonder where that came from. And of course, we do nothing about it. You did something about it. You produced this really fascinating book. I guess the question is, why? Well, I absolutely agree with you, Mike. I too found the name absolutely fascinating and diverse when I moved around the county over the last 40 years. So I was moved enough to write some articles in the local Hanbury Herald about the meaning and the origins of the local place names. And just before I was going to give my talk, which I'd prepared for in fair detail, lockdown occurred. So I ended up with a lot of material on my hands and a lot of time on my hands because of a lockdown. And so I looked further afield in my researches and I was very surprised at where it led me. And there are thousands of names that you discuss in this book. Each one of them has its own fascination. But looking at it overall, what do you think place names tell you about the history of Worcestershire? Well, place names tell us about the people who coined them. I think it was John Steinbeck said, there is in place names a charge of the people who named them. And I feel exactly the same way in that they're related to the people, their culture and their language. So they can tell us almost every facet of their lives and how they constructed the world around them, what they thought was important in their environment and even the wildlife at the time. And as you drive around today, how has this research enriched your understanding of Worcestershire? I think that once you understand the original meaning of settlements and landscapes, it kind of changes your perspective on them. So you can 
understand that a, a hill, a hill very near here called Callow Hill, and in the Anglo-Saxon language, it means bare hill. So it gives you some understanding and continuity that that hill probably for more than over a thousand years has actually been bare and lacking in much vegetation. And it just reminds us of the people in the past who have shared what we call our home. And I feel that that is very much the embodiment of living language. You haven't got to go to a book and see hard facts and dates, but you can feel it in your feet and your head and your heart, if you like, the echoes of the people around you calling. And you've arranged the book in a series of chapters which look at particular groups of people whose shadow we can still see in the Playstones of Worcestershire. So let's begin with the Celts. Yes, there are quite a few. It's the rivers and the streams are perhaps the oldest attested names. So, for example, the team is a word of Celtic origin, and it means the dark one. And the team has cognates in England, the Thames, the Thames, the Tees, all derive from the Celtic word. What is amazing, I found, was that a tributary of the Ganges, the Tamus, is also a cognate, which reflects the very long and large family of languages, the Indo-European languages, over thousands of years and thousands of miles. What did the Romans leave behind in terms of place names in Worcestershire? The Romans moved into an area and they very often Latinized the names that were given by the local indigenous population. So a good example there is Sabrina, the name that the Romans gave to the River Severn. And it's likely that that name came from a previous Celtic name called Sabran. And the reason that that is thought is that there are former names of rivers in Bedfordshire and in Ireland called the Sabran. And that would have been in a common Brythonic or Bretonic language, which gave way to the Welsh and the Cornish and the, and the Cumbric Celt and the Breton language. And since then, the later but still older Old Welsh language, it became Havren. The Celts uh, had animistic ideologies and they worshipped natural things. So they would have revered the River Severn as a sister to the River Wye because they both had a common father in the mountains of Plinlimon. And Worcestershire was an important part of Saxon England, Anglo-Saxon England. How's that reflected now in the names that we see? Yes, the Anglo-Saxon tribe, the Huwiki, first appeared in the area we now call Worcestershire at the end of the 6th to 7th centuries. And they, for about 40 years, were associated with the Kingdom of Wessex but they had a very large Angle kingdom to the north of them, Mercia. And this was quite a warlike expansionist kingdom. 
And this is reflected by the number of hills which form a crescent between the Hiwiki Kingdom and the Mercian Kingdom. And they go from west to east, the Wasselwood, Wassel Grove, Waisley Hill, and Wast Hill. Now, in Old English, Wastley is the name given to a watchtower or watch place. So it reflects the tensions between these two kingdoms. About 40 years later, the Hiwiki kingdom became actually a sub-kingdom of the Mercians. The other way Anglo-Saxon presence in the area is reflected in place names is that the Mercians under King Pender were actually the last king to become converted to Christianity. So there are quite a few pagan names around the area, which is now Birmingham, such as Wensbury, Wednesfield, and Wheely, all from the god Wogan. The other reflections of Anglo-Saxon times is the number of settlement names which reflect King Pender himself, which is Pinvin, Pinsfield, and some of these names. And beyond Pender, what other Anglo-Saxon kings do we find remembered in the place names of Worcestershire? That's an interesting question because many of the Anglo-Saxon and the Hwicky royalty are remembered in place names. Locally, you have Witch Haven and Witch Ford and uh, several other names reflect the Hwicky tribe. And the old name for the Cotswolds was Mons Hikuorium, which is the uh, hills of the Hwicky tribe. There was a very large wood just on the border of the Cotswolds and Warwickshire called Hwicky Warden, which is, of course, the wood of the Hwicky. And there's even a ford called Witchford in between Droitwich and that wood, where the Hiwiki royalty would have had carried their wood to burn the furnaces of the salt works even then in Droitwich. The next layer, if you like, strata of names that we get after the Saxons, because Worcestershire was invaded and settled by many people from many parts of Europe, I guess were the Scandinavians. What Scandinavian or Viking names do we have in Worcestershire? That's a really interesting question, and the short answer is not very many. And the reason why there are not very many is that the Anglo-Saxons who called the area their home, the Mercians and the Hiwiki, were quite powerful and warlike. During the 7th and 8th century, the Mercian supremacy meant that it would be very unlikely for any other culture to move in and name a place. And that is the Scandinavians from the east, because Danelaw is only around about 35 miles east of us. And that also goes for the Celts, who were partly assimilated and partially pushed to the west. They weren't coming back. So are there any Scandinavian names in the county? Yes, we think there are, and one is Clent, and the village of Clent is on a hill 
in around about the 11th century, it was called Klinta with a K, which in Scandinavian language means a steep slope or rocky slope. And historically, the evidence suggests that when the Scandinavians came to England, the old Danes to East England and the old Norwegians to Cumbria, they very often farmed above around 800 feet, possibly being displaced by the Anglo-Saxons who had the fertile lower river uh, settings. And then we have the Normans. And let's face it, nobody stopped the Normans from what I can gather. So the Normans came to Worcestershire in the 11th century and really left their mark, I guess, in castles, abbeys. Where do we see the Normans in our place names? It's probable that very few Normans came but made a very large influence and they would have displaced the hierarchy and the royalty of the Anglo-Saxons. So if you were an ordinary villain or ordinary peasant, you would look up and you would see a different line manager who looked perhaps different and certainly spoke in a very different language. So the Normans would have introduced their own hierarchy, the feudal system, and William gave a lot of lands to his uh, lord followers. So a very good example in Worcestershire would be Morton, which in Anglo-Saxon times would have been called Merton, which is the settlement by a mere or a lake. So after the Norman invasion, it was called Abbots Morton, which meant that William had given that land to the church. And there are very many other examples of the Norman families who would have been given land, the lordships, and therefore you have many, many surnames of Normans in Worcestershire. A very unusual name from Norman origin in Worcestershire is Bewdley. And that comes from the Norman Bew, beautiful, and Lear place. And it's unusual in that it's not just a normalization of a name. It is a complete pushing out of a Anglo-Saxon name. It used to be called Ribbonhall. Ribbonhall is now to the kind of east of the River Severn, whereas Bewdley must have struck them as particularly beautiful for them to say, right, that's too good for an Anglo-Saxon name. Well, for many people from Birmingham and the West Midlands, the black country, I guess that's still true of Butley today, as so many of them go there for their summer holidays to camp. With your accent, which is clearly not Worcestershire but Welsh, Mm. I hesitate to ask this, but Worcestershire has always been a place of friction between the Welsh kingdoms and the English kingdoms. Do we see the effect of the Welsh, the impact of the Welsh, in any of the place names? Yes, indeed. There are a spattering of names of Celtic origin throughout England, but they certainly get commoner as you go west. And you can see this pattern in Worcestershire. So there are very few names of Celtic origin 
east of the River Severn, and that's reflected by the time it takes for a culture to expand. It took the Anglo-Saxons about 500 years to expand, and so there was a relatively more occupancy by Celts in the west of the county and indeed the country. So an example, rare example, east of River Severn is Wire Piddle. So wire comes from the Celtic word winding and piddle, as we often still use now, a narrow stream. So that's a hybrid word. Pure Celtic words pop up west of the River Severn and one is Pendock, which is head of the barley field, and the Rith, which is a settlement, a small village, on the west bank of the River Severn, between Upton-upon-Severn and Worcester, and in the Celtic language, Rith is Ford. As you get further west in the Team Valley, some really interesting things happen. The lower parts of the fertile plain of the valley, all Anglo-Saxon, but on the higher ground, probably less fertile, there are names like Mamble, and Mamble comes from the Celtic word Mam, related to a breast-like hill, as does Manchester. And then you get names like Pensax, which are fascinating, because that's a Celtic description of Anglo-Saxon neighbours. Pen meaning head of or hill, and siax is the word the Anglo-Saxons used for themselves, which is related to a small dagger that men and women used. So there's evidence of what might be called social stratification in relation to the Anglo-Saxons in the valleys and the Celts on the higher ground but also a lot of evidence of assimilation and of living together in a multicultural society, which I found really fascinating and has echoes from the past to the present. So you mentioned at the beginning of this discussion that this was a retirement project which gathered force because of, like all of us who'd been locked away with the pandemic, When you move around Worcestershire now, how does this knowledge that you've built up of the place names enrich the experience of being in Worcestershire for you? Well, absolutely. If you look at an ordnance survey map and you see an unusual name and there's a public access, you're able to go there understanding the original intended name. As I've stood on the hill of where the wolves live, and the ridge of Puck, the hobgoblin, a very strong belief system in many of the cultures of the British Isles in the medieval period. And I've stood in a place called Hom, and Hom in the Hiwiki dialect is originally a farmstead, later became a settlement because more people came. The settlement or the farmstead by the water meadow. And then later, we're referring now to Evesham, became a Cronach Hom and Cranach Hom. And nobody's been able to figure out exactly what the Cranach means. And it's highly likely Cronach Hom means the uh, farmstead or settlement 
by a water meadow where the cranes live. And how amazingly evocative is that? And indeed, with rewilding and the reintroduction of species at the moment, maybe one day Evesham <laughs> will live up to its uh, former name. It's happened in Storkingham in West Sussex and it's happened in Urn in Dorset because respectively they mean stork and the white-tailed eagle and they both now fly over those areas of England. Fascinating. And which of these, all these thousands of names that you've looked at, is there one that always sticks in your mind or you think is particularly beautiful or particularly amusing? Yes, I think all those things. And it must be Breedon Hill because in around maybe 400 years BC, the Celts came into the area and they named the hill Bryn, basically the hill, which reflects how peoples in those days were born, they lived, worked and died in one locality. So what's the name of the hill? Well, it's the hill, isn't it? As in the river, it's the most important one. And then about a thousand years later, the Anglo-Saxons appeared in the area. And there's a pattern of naming over the thousands of years that the Anglo-Saxons picked the name up from the indigenous people. So they called the place Bri, very similar to Bryn, but added their own name, Dun, later corrupted to Don, which means hill. And then in Middle English, we come along about 400 years ago and say, ah, that's Bree Don Hill. So now the topographical feature shouts over the seven plain in a tautology of at least three languages. Hill, hill, hill. And as you drive around, do you ever see any names that are still mysteries? Yes, there are one or two that uh, toponymists, etymologists, can't really agree on. And one of those is Tardy Big. There is some thoughts that it may come from Biggin, which is an old Scandinavian name, but there's no record of any Scandinavians living there. There was a battle between one of the kings of uh, the Mercians and uh, King Canute around about the area of... Aston Fields in the 10th, 9th century, but no any evidence of people living there. And it doesn't conform to any structure of a Celtic language, an Anglo-Saxon language, a Norman language. And it's thought, like one or two other places in the county, it may reflect a pre-Indo- European language. It was the Celts who brought the Indo-European language, it's thought, to the British Isles. Maybe the Bronze Age people spoke a proto-Celtic language, so they may have been, in fact, the first who brought the Indo-European language to Britain. But there's some debate about that. So when toponymists get really hot on the collar and totally bewildered, they say, oh, it's probably a Neolithic name. Amazingly, there are examples in Worcestershire it is thought that Bronze Age people often had some kind of meetings, maybe fairs, on higher ground. And it could be that because of the powerful effect of oral history, the name 
still reverberates in Midsummer Hill, of which there are quite a few around uh, Worcestershire and England. So there you're talking about possibly a place name which echoes from around about three to 4,000 years ago. And because of its geographic location at the centre of England and at an important crossing point of various routes in Britain, historically and, and prehistorically, do you think Worcestershire has a particularly rich heritage of names? Well, many of the routes that were used, the tracks that were used in prehistoric times, in Mesolithic times, in Neolithic times, their names have been lost. But we know where they were, and the Anglo-Saxons have named them. So the Foss Way, for example, is an old Roman road, but it's got an Anglo-Saxon name, named after the ditch, which is adjacent to it. And the same goes for the Ridgeway and many, many other names. But yes, I think it was a very important crossing point of commerce. For example, there's an old Flint Road which goes from North Wales and fords the River Severn at Worcester. And of course, there are many saltways. There's a saltway which goes from the through which crossing to South Wales. And that was used certainly in Celtic times and possibly before. Many names like Trench Lane and Broadway were all thought to be going south past the Cotswolds and then almost certainly on to Leshlade on Thames, were a very important settlement because it's the furthest navigal point in the Thames uh, River. So then for onward passage of produce and salts to Oxford and to London and uh, the Drover's Way comes from the west there, very ancient Drover's Way. And then a way which goes from uh, Leslade upon Thames to the south coast at, at Hampshire. So there was a network, even in Neolithic times, some 6,000 years ago, which perhaps is not fully appreciated. Looking back on what's been a very intense period of research, it seems to me, what do you feel you personally have gained out of this study of these names? I think one of the main things that hit me was how multicultural England and, and Britain has been and how those place names, sometimes through oral history, can still reverberate and still be present and still survive. And I, I think the fascination and the magic for place names for me is that they're about people and they're about cultures and languages and as I mentioned in the book, the spirits of our ancestors are locked in the meaning of place names, and they are ready to become unlocked and live again if we breathe our energies and uh, attention into them. And for me, that's the embodiment of living and local history. So tell us about your book. Where can we get it? What is it called? Yes, the title of the book is the history of place names in England and Worcestershire, the voices of the past. And it's available in most independent bookshops in Worcestershire, in Droitwich WH Smiths, and in the website of my publisher, Hugh Caxton, and on Amazon, Kindle, and uh, eBooks. 
and you'll be able to find those details in the material that accompanies this particular podcast. Mike, thank you very, very much indeed for what's been a fascinating discussion. And for anybody else who's looking for a project to take on, this must be an incredibly interesting subject, place names. And your book, I know, contains a very good guide for anybody who wants to do that. So thank you very much indeed for your time and for a really interesting discussion. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. Mike Jenkins' book, The History of Place Names in England and Worcestershire, is available from bookshops and from Amazon. You can find out a lot more about Worcestershire's past at our website, www.historywm.com, where you can also order the fascinating biography of Worcester over 1,400 years, told through the prism of 20 key moments that shaped the city and the world beyond. Lavishly illustrated and written by local author and historian Andrew Reeks, Worcester Moments, River, Religion and Royalty is available now directly from History West Midlands or at Amazon. Amazon.